Good evening, folks. Uh, before we get started with today's show, we want to thank last week's guest, Dave Rowan, for being on our show, where he was able to share his love and passion for the Ottawa Senators and his Ottawa Senators cards, and to help us learn more about the ever-growing popularity of soccer cards. I'm truly excited for our guest tonight. The onset of Top Project 2020 drove me to start working on my art again. I love the flow of ink on paper, and it's amazing what you can do if you actually believe in yourself. As steady Freddie Van Vliet of the Raptors always used to say, and still says, always bet on yourself. Our next guest has definitely done that. He left a full-time job to work on his art, and he hasn't looked back since. Have you ever wondered what to do with all these base cards? I know I do. I open up box after box, and they sit in a pile. I sometimes give them to my kids, or sometimes I give them out to local card show, kids at local card shows. At worst, some of you throw them out. We live in a very wasteful hobby, if you think about it, with all the, the box cracks and throwing out the packages and ripping open the cases. It's a lot of waste. And it's really neat to see our guest, Tim, who you'll introduce you to soon. He makes wonderful works of art out of these base cards and sports and pop culture. His art can be seen in museums and, and around the world and in the U.S., especially at the Baseball, hockey, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, not Hockey Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame. Everyone, let's welcome my guest, Tim. Hey, Tim. Hey, guys. Good talking to you. Sam, thank you for being on our show tonight. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, uh, Tim, Tim Carroll, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on our show this evening. Uh, I have a question, a couple of questions for you to start off. Um, so, what made you decide to use, like, uh, singles and common base cards for your art? And to segue into that, do you have a massive supply of, of those singles and commons stored at your house? I, I do. I do now. Uh, I, I um, slowly but surely, I, I um, I've gotten almost it's, it's close to a half a million cards. No kidding. Sitting, wow. Yeah, just then those are half a million cards uh, devoted strictly to to artwork. Uh, that's not counting anything that's that's decent. As far as uh, how I got into you know deciding to use um baseball cards as a medium it started back in uh 2009 it was a an, there was an exact day an exact moment in which it uh kind of came to me um i was not really uh doing much artwork it was it was a little bit of there was a little bit of drawing um some acrylic painting uh, but i was finishing a degree uh elementary education degree at Ole Miss and my wife was teaching or she was she was a teacher and she was finishing up a doctorate and um, one of her projects that she had going she was uh, presenting at the NSTA science conference down in New Orleans and so while um, we were down there and we had a day off uh, from the conference and we're walking around the French Quarter and seeing all the different kinds of art that they had, you know, in different types of galleries. And it was some really strange, but very cool stuff, you know, within those galleries. Um, and then the rains came and we ran inside of a, of a 7-Eleven and uh, we're flipping through some magazines to take back to the hotel room with us. And uh, one of them had something, a little, just a little blurb about it, the 1909 206 Honus Wagner and how it was the 100th anniversary of that Wagner. So uh, 
I got to thinking, you know, what we had just seen, all the different kinds of artwork, you know, body paintings and, and different things like that. And I started thinking, why, why is there not any type of really cool art when it comes to the Wagner? Sure. And um, I thought, hey, what if I what if I took all the cards out of my closet and uh, I looked over at my wife and said, it wouldn't it be cool if I took all those cards out of my closet and, you know, traded them for that Wagner. And she was like, go for it. And I said, well, it doesn't work that way. You don't know what that card is worth. It, those, <laughs> those, those 1988 tops cards aren't going to get a, a Wagner no matter how many you have. But, um, got back home and started laying the cards out and the wheels were turning I had no intention of cutting them at first. I just wanted to like overlap them and mm -hmm. see if, if the, you know, the colors, if I could get them to line up. Um, I had, I'd never even thought about cutting them. Um, but then I realized if I don't cut the white borders off of the top, so some of the gray off of the FLIR, then it wasn't going to work. Um, so once I made the first cut, it was like, well, once you make the first cut, you might as well cut it to little pieces. <laughs> and that's when, that's where, that's where it started. That's awesome. And just for the, the, the crowd that's watching, I'm actually doing a, my version of a slow roll of Tim's website, uh, timcarrollart.com. Uh, so you can see just how detailed uh, the artwork is. Uh, and especially if you look at some of the more vintage pieces, I'm, I'm impartial to Jackie. So Jackie, you can see the details in the face. Um, it's just wonderful to see this kind of work done, especially with, you know, honestly, Tim, we throw these out most of the time. Some people recycle them. I give them to kids, but you're putting it to good use. And I'm really happy to see that. So much, uh, so much better than if they're going to just sit in little white boxes in in the closet. Um, it's it's nice to have them out and you know hanging on the wall. Um, obviously, you got to make sure that you're cutting something that's not valuable and has no potential to be valuable. And the things from the late '80s and early '90s, you know, no matter what kind of card boom we're going through right now. Um, there's no one going to go back and, and try to place, you know, hefty price tags on Jesse or Roscoe cards, you know, from the late eighties. <laughs> so <laughs> no offense to Jesse or Roscoe. No, hey. absolutely. No, not. No. He was great. I was le I'm left-handed. So, uh, you know, I appreciated him, but no. So Tim, when it, when it comes to your art and artwork in general, was it always been something that comes naturally for you? Uh, Yes, but uh, I didn't really realize that, you know, kind of along the way, really what I was even doing. Um, I, I grew up in a small town in North Mississippi and the school district that I was a part of, um, our, our school teachers were awesome. You know, they worked with us. We only had like two classes per grade. That's how small okay. we were. And in uh, each class had 13 to 15 students in it. But um we didn't have the funds in the district for art classes, uh, not even music, really. We had, I think we had music one time when I was in second grade for about half of a year, and then it was gone. So we really didn't have the arts in school all the way up until my senior year. But like I said, my school teachers were awesome. You know, they always um, encouraged us to be creative. Uh, I would go out on the playground and, and use pine cones and sticks and straw and whatever I could use, you know, on the, on the playground to, to make pictures sure. on the ground. Um, but we didn't have the paints, the paintbrushes and that kind of stuff. So when I got to be a senior in high school, we had a, a local gentleman at the local community college come down and he um, offered he needed 12 spots to fill a class and he was volunteering his time to actually 
teach us and give us a little bit of training and try he, his goal was to try to find talent for the local junior college art program. And it served a dual purpose, you know, for him and for us. Um, so I think there was like 80, 90 different portfolios submitted and he selected 12 of us and I ended up getting a scholarship to, you know, go to Itawamba community college from there. I went for one semester and then life kind of got in the way and I needed to work and help the mm -hmm. family out. So uh, that's that's what happened. I left it and ended up coming back to school about a decade later. Not for art, for education, though, at that time. Right, right. But so, you know, you know, art has always been I love to draw. Uh, so art's always been kind of there, but not it wasn't anything that I kind of took seriously. Right, right. So, so going from that and then to cutting up baseball cards, what was the first art piece that you actually created? Was it, and was it even with baseball cards as a medium or something else? Uh, I mean, if you just, if you count, like, I mean, I did, I, I worked drawings and, um, um, some acrylic paintings of some Mississippi blues, uh, musicians, uh, oh, nice. Mississippi Delta, you know, um, BB King, Robert Johnson, Sun House. Uh, Howlin' Wolf, you know, Muddy Waters, those those kind of, you know, the, all the all the blues legends. I, I love that stuff. And so, you know, I had some acrylic paintings of that uh, right before I started doing the baseball card art. Um, but that that's it. Yeah, the the Honus Wagner was definitely the first one. And it, but it was it was more of a conceptual piece at first because oh, okay. I go back and I, I go back and I look at the original first one that I did, and right. it. It, it's it's ugly you know it's uh it, it it really is crude but i love it and i love it because it represents exactly what and at the time where i was at and it represent you know it shows me you know how much growth i've done over the last 12 years um so you know it's it's wonderful from that but i still consider that piece a conceptual piece and pretty much like the first two or three because i was even though they were taking 38 to 45 hours a piece to get them done, um, they're really crude. And uh, the subjects that I chose, which was the the Wagner, the 52 Tops Mantle, and the 89 mm -hmm. Upper Deck yes. Griffey, they they definitely needed to be reworked down the road. And and I have reworked those pieces and actually put out what I call my art pieces of those conceptual pieces. Excellent. So as a kid, were you really big into uh, collecting cards and do you collect today? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, I started collecting in about, uh, I would say, 87. Picking up the wood bordered tops cards. Um, I did, again, didn't know what I was doing. Uh, we, we didn't you know, have a lot of extra funds in the house for, for things like that. But uh, stop at the store, uh, 25, 35 cents for a pack of cards. And uh, come back and looking through them, had no idea what I was even looking for. Uh, I started playing baseball. And uh, so it kind of kept me on path with that. And like everyone else, you know, as time went on, I got more and more into it. But when college came around, you know, everything went to the wayside. Met my wife, so I was not interested in interested in cards for, for a few years. And then once we settled down and everything you know got get got put in place at the house it was it was time to find something you know as a hobby again and it, it was it's always there waiting on you you know so i picked it right back up and today uh, i do collect i collect with my boys uh, we get different kinds of things my two uh, niche collections i guess you could call them uh, i really love 
college baseball, college basketball, and college football autographs. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so um, certified autographs of players like Mark McGuire in his USC uniform or Roger Ooh, Clemens nice. in his Texas uniform. Yeah, that that intrigues me. I like that. So I, I have a, a nice collection of that. And my biggest one is the um, Allen and Ginter framed mini autographs. Ooh, um, yeah. yeah, I saw them about 27 non-baseball autographs away from having the complete run from 2006 to present. And there's about 500 and I think it's 547 of them in the complete non-baseball run. So I'm getting close. Um, I'm looking for those last 27. Tim, Tim, do you have the uh, Anthony Bourdain one? I do have the Anthony Bourdain. Awesome. That's one of that's one of my more recent pickups. I, I picked that one up about um, about a month and a half ago. Yeah, nice. that one was uh, that one hurt the wallet a little bit, but yeah, he's uh, up there. <laughs> but it, but it, but you know, it's definitely one you have to have if you're going to complete it. So I was, was lucky uh, to get that one. Was Alan and Ginter the one with the Invisible Man? Was that the first one they did that? I think they did that in in 2009 or 2011. Those two borders, framed borders, are, are very similar. I believe I believe the uh, Invisible Man was in 2009 or 11. Yeah. And there was like 10 of those made, something like that. That would be an interesting um, thing to use for art. If you use uh, the AG cards for your art? Uh, I use some of the base cards. Yeah, I do. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I've, I've used them on the uh, Babe Ruth uh, M1015 uh, Sporting News rookie card. Um, I think I used them on the 48 Leaf Jackie. Uh, there's a couple other pieces I've used them for, but yeah, they 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 come in handy. And uh, actually, when you look at uh, certain base cards, I know you uh, Kent mentioned you're looking for a base cards, and you have you know X million uh, sorry, X million cards in your house. How do you, and I didn't ask you this yesterday and I was to think about it, how do you categorize them? Do you go by color or shape or just by set? Right now it's, it's complete organized chaos. I mean, they are <laughs> everywhere. And, and some of the boxes, you know, that have been given to me or donated to me or, or that I bought in collections, um, they are, um, I can tell by what the box looks like. You know, I know what's in it. And the boxes look, you know what I'm talking about too. You know, yeah, some sure. boxes are torn and tattered. Some of them are, and, and so I, I kind of know what's in there. Um, but yeah, I have them sorted for the most part by set, not by year, but by set. So if it's a lot of flair, I have them, you know, all together. I try, I try to keep them all together. Like I said, right now it is chaos. I haven't been, I haven't been back through. I need to take a couple of days and go back and put some things back together so that uh, it'll be a little bit easier to find. It'll save me a few minutes. <laughs> sure. um, so another question I have for you is, have you, okay, now Junk Wax era is obviously the boom, right? Mm -hmm. So all those Junk Wax era base cards, and now they're worth so much money. So I'm curious, have you ever, you know, have you cut up any of those valuable cards into your art by any chance? And you're like, you know what, there's a Griffey in there, and there's a... <laughs> I try not to. I, I try not to cut any Hall of Famers. That was one of my, that was one, the one thing that when I started doing this and, and once I started making those cuts, you know, like, like I was mentioning, you know, Jesse Orozco, you, you're, you're going to be hard pressed to find anyone that collects a, a majority of the players from those 80s and, and early 90s sets. I mean, for the most part, People don't even remember them. You know, you can, you, it's hard. It's unless you were a real big fan of that specific team. Uh, a lot of guys were, were two or three years in the league and done. 
so there's a, so many of those type of guys that it was unnecessary really to cut Hall of Famers or regional stars, um, players that uh, may not be Hall of Famers but still have a pretty good collector base uh, like Will Clark or, or Bo Jackson. Sure. Uh, I mean, th- those guys, you know, there's always a place out there for those cards no matter how many there are. So I, I try not to cut those. Uh, and I try just to stick to just commons, but every now and then I'll come across a card of, you know, a Daryl Strawberry or a Dwight Gooden or even even a, you know, Kirby Puckett Hall of Famers that may be damaged uh, with a crease in it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to do anybody any good. There are millions of them out there that are clean. So, you know, I'll go ahead and cut those up. Um, and I try to make sure to keep the faces intact so it, you know, adds a little something to that, to that piece. <laughs> I like to... I want to know how many Kevin Maz and Ben McDonald <laughs> are in there because I, those are I, worth a lot of money, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Phil Plantiers and Ricky Jordans, Sam Horns. Yeah. <laughs> now we're getting to the to the prospecting days. For sure. Do you, ever, uh, do you ever look at cards and then like like you're going through them and you ever get to a do you still when you open the cards and you go through the comments, still get that joy of looking at them or have you kind absolutely. of done that? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, and it, I, I look at a common, I look at cards in a different way than most people do. And I can open up a pack of, even now open up a pack of 2021 tops. And, you know, I see uh, that the field that's in the background, the, the dirt on the base pass has been sprayed down recently with water. And so it creates a darker dirt, and I'm thinking, you know, oh, I know where I can use that, you know, this <laughs> section of that card, you know. So I see commons in a different way. It's 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 pretty fun. I see blocks of color instead of seeing, you know, just the card as a whole. Um, but as far as the stuff from my childhood, absolutely, you know, I go and I look and I see different things. I remember there's this one story my brother and I always laugh about when we were little and we were collecting. It was probably 88 or 89. And we noticed that John Shelby – John Shelby now. Okay. In nineteen eighty seven, he was and I can't remember if he was with the Orioles first or the Dodgers, but in eighty seven he was with one of those teams. And then in eighty eight he was with a different team. And so we were really young and no one, you know, was in our house collected cards. So there was no one to really teach us that that really didn't matter. So we were thinking that one of them has to be expensive because he's not, you know, he's not with this team anymore. And and it's pretty funny. I, every now and then I'll run across that and I'll send him a, a um, picture of it and say, Hey, check out what I just found. You want it? <laughs> awesome. Um, so can you uh, share with us, you know, send, uh, your thinking process of like how you create your art, like from start to finish. I think the, the, the crowd would love to hear that. And those, those who watch it after we kind of just understand your process from an artist. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's very, it's very straightforward. It really is. It is, the drawing, the outline, I, I'm, I'm a former math teacher. I'm pretty good with numbers. Um, so, you know, scaling everything up and, and doing the math and figuring out how big I need to make a piece to, you know, to blow up the piece and keep everything proportional. And then I use the grid approach where you just, you know, create the little squares off and, you know, whether oh. it's four inch, you know, eight inch squares um, and then um, actually grid off, you know, a printout. Of, of that and then whatever you see in one square goes in grid you know 1a and you know, 2a 3a and so on and so forth and um after you get that part down 
then uh, you, you go back and you fine tune that and get it as close to it as you can. And then it's pretty much cut and glue. And I've, you know, worked a lot of live events like the national and the, um, the expos in, in Toronto, um, the NHL fanfare. And it's pretty fun working that stuff in person and seeing some people that have, you know, seen my stuff online and they're like, you're you're really just cutting and gluing. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm really. It's seriously just cutting and gluing and cutting and gluing. So there's a lot of a lot of that, and there's a lot of time in it where you know you have to go back and scrape it off and cuss under the breath a little bit, and then you know start over again from what it you know the part. So there's a lot of trial and error in it, and and there's a lot of learning along the way. So we have a question from the crowd. Uh, first of all, I'll say hi to a few folks. So thank you, Brian, for coming by. Webo to you, uh, 90s hockey collector. And we have a question from Vincent McGrath. So how many projects yeah. do you work on at once? Oh, my goodness. So as many as 20 or 25 pieces I have going at, at various stages. Uh, and, and I have to do that from the standpoint of you don't really want to look at the same piece for too, too long because you kind of get tunnel vision and it feels like you're having to get done with that one specific piece. So um, things, if you'll put it to the side, work on something different and then revisit that piece in a day or two, you'll always see things that need to be touched up, fixed, um, you know, tightened up. Uh, it could be a, a, a line that just doesn't belong, you know, push it in, push it in a little bit. Um, so I have a lot of pieces going, most of which are commissioned, but a lot of them are just uh, just other pieces that kind of just fill the time and kind of clear the mind a little bit. Um, and that allows me just to fill in some bigger spots on other pieces and then get back to those commission pieces that are they're on the line. And uh, Vinny, by the way, who just asked that question, he, he hooked me up with uh, one of the prizes of my Ginner collection that – uh, Joe Frazier from 07. That's oh, really nice. the toughest. Oh, nice. so, yeah, I really, yeah. Thank him for that. Cool. Um, so just asking, it's a bit of a deviation from what we talked about yesterday, but I just thought of it now, which was the, the, so when I'm doing my art, I found an interesting thing that happened. So I was looking at, you look at your art dead on, right? Like I'm reading mm -hmm. a book. And then I found that by accident, by pivoting the art into a different angle, I saw things differently. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. And then I found that if I looked at things in a different angle, you just get this rush. You're like, whoa, I never saw that. Like, oh, right. I really like that. Let me try that. Have you ever had that happen to you? Uh, I do a lot of my work upside down. So if you've ever, you may see pictures online if people post them from me working at a national or at an expo. I'm actually working it upside down for that very reason. Uh, instead of seeing, um, you know, looking at, at looking at it as a face and seeing, you know, just the way the eye is. Uh, you, if you turn it upside down, you start seeing the the shapes of the color. And and, and I'm forgive me for not being so technical with my terms. Uh, you know, I'm not really like that uh, trained artist. But but when you when you do that, uh, you get to see things like I said, just in in shapes and blocks, and and it sure. works so much better. Um, one of the things that I was taught that that really has helped me along the way is, you know, sometimes we know certain things are there, but that doesn't mean that you should put them there. Kind of like if a player's head is turned slightly, 
you know, you know that he has two eyes, but you might only be able to see one full. You don't want to, you know, put two eyes side by side. That's it kind of goes along with that, if that makes sense. There's a it's a funny thing. So when you're talking about being technical with art, I'm not technical with my art. I just know what I'm doing. I couldn't explain to you what I'm doing. I'm getting there. But my late father had a, a funny story, and you just reminded me of it. I'll just tell it real quick. Um, he he was a, a math teacher, and he was teaching um, some some students who were former uh, offshore fishermen. Mm-hmm. They would come into. In, we lived in Newfoundland. It was a small. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Newfoundland. But Newfoundland's like a very small province off of Canada. I would, I would love to go there. It's, yeah, from what I've seen, it's beautiful. It's awesome. And uh, so he used to teach offshore fishermen math and science and whatnot. And one day he was trying to teach them just to think strategically, right? So he showed a railroad track that was bent, right? It just had a big buckle in it. So he goes, can you explain to me, you know, why, why this is? And the fisherman was like, it's just buckled. Um, yes, but can you explain why? Why? What do you mean why? Well, it's buckled. We can't fix it. What's the point of thinking about it? And it's like, okay. And I'm not going to drive it. Okay, that's technical enough. We'll leave it there. So it's just like trying to <laughs> hear the science behind it. But the guy was like, I, I just know what it is. I don't need to know anymore. Correct. <laughs> um, so we have a question from someone named Pete. And I think you kind of addressed this before. But uh, long story short, we're going to get into more other artwork that you've worked on. But hockey cards, baseball cards, boxes. And if you want to answer what else you've used, perhaps you can go give a little uh, hint of what we're going to talk about later. Yeah. Uh, so you're talking about other different other mediums. Is that what? Um, yes, that's asked? right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So I've used everything from uh, shoelaces and cut shoes to create a Jordan piece. I've used hmm. um, uh, toothpicks to do Ted Williams because he was nicknamed Toothpick Ted and the Splendid Splinter. I've used uh, straws for Reggie Jackson, uh, the straw that stirred the drink, the Big Hurt Frank Thomas out of band aids and uh, ace bandages. Feathers for Edgar Allan Poe, uh, guitar picks for Jimi Hendrix and um, Bob Marley, uh, broken records for Elvis Presley, uh, peach pits for Ty Cobb, uh, black socks for shoeless Joe Jackson. Um, wow. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I love I'm very literal. So I love taking things that, you know, really has not you know only one purpose but once they're used they're done or and, and i try not to use i wouldn't use used band-aids obviously but you know you find <laughs> but, yeah. but it's something that i can get in bulk pretty cheap if i go to the dollar store and and pick them I, up that I'm, way. So, that kind of. I'm glad you validated that but just so uh, just for the record <laughs> yeah find that they're, they're brand new <laughs> Um, you won't you won't see me going in the ditches and pulling any masks <laughs> that people have tossed along the way to create Fauci. Yeah, yeah. That's not happening. <laughs> um, we got a couple of more comments I'll just bring up. So uh, Brian Kingsley, uh, what kind of art am I into? If I could explain it, I would. But all I can tell you is abstract. And uh, I didn't actually bring any out, and I probably should have. But it's very abstract and very different. So I'll save that for another, another show. Meet, meet. It's vaguely linear. Yeah, that's my other Instagram name, Vaguely Linear. But okay. if, you know, if that gives you your insight. It's Vaguely Linear. <laughs> um, and then uh, Peeps is giving you some credence for your Jackie and the website. Yes, I'm impartial to the Jackie. And if I win the lottery, I'm going to have to come after Tim to, to get that. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm going to bring up another thing I've noticed. You know, you've explained your art from start to finish. So here's something I witnessed, and it was very hard on me. Like, I had a tough 
dealing with this and uh, a friend of mine was like you know i failed at a piece of art and i hated it and i ripped it up and i threw it out and i'm not doing this again and my very good friend um he's done with like an art mentor to me in a, in a very odd sense uh since he does art very different art than i do and he basically said don't throw anything out never throw anything out keep it all analyze it and make sure you can update that the next time you do it so I keep, I have a pink box under my desk and I keep tons of scrap paper. And it's funny because I've gone back to things that failed and I found little pieces of it. I'm like, I'm going to use that, that little big piece of paper, but I'm going to use this little piece in my next piece. And I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. Um, so having said that, have you ever felt you failed at a piece and how do you motivate yourself to keep trying? Yeah, that's, that's great advice that you were given. I, I've never received that advice. Um, so, I mean, I may, I may start trying to use that a little bit myself. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I'm not perfect on anything. Um, and so in anything that I do, you know, even now I can go back and look at almost every single piece I've done and I can see where I might've done something different, but I, but I'm glad I don't because it kind of represents where I am at that moment, you know, and, and, and I, I guess that be, them being imperfect makes them perfect. You know, it's, yes. it's me. So it represents me. But um, yeah, so I've, I can name you one piece, for instance, the 1993 SP Derek Jeter um, was an absolute headache. Um, and and when I first started it several years ago, uh, I got about halfway through with it and would scrape off and put more and scrape off again. And it just wasn't working right. And of course I'm trying to get, you know, fake out the full in the background. There are no real full cards. I mean, you could use Chrome, you could use flare metal, you could use all these other different kinds of, of cards, but it just didn't come out right. I even went as far as getting a whole bunch of the 1993 SP rookies that were not Jeter or, you know, Johnny Damon or Chipper Jones and Manny Ramirez. And I put those to the side and started cutting the other guys. And, and I started realizing that one, it's going to take a whole lot of Carlos Delgado's and other, and other players to get this done because the foil was just uh, so tedious. But also whenever you laid that foil on top of the other, for some reason, it just didn't look right as an art piece. So I finally went, uh, you know, later on, just trial and error. And uh, I decided to, to give my give myself a little bit of grace and see what would happen if I finished out the fall in one specific way with the 91 leaf. And it turned out pretty good. I, I was really proud of the way it was, especially considering all the, the grief that it had given me over the years. Is this the piece here? That's it. That's the finished piece. So I finished that one up. Uh, it hasn't been too, too long ago. Um, but that's the finished piece. And yeah, like I said, I, I'm very happy with the way that one turned out, especially knowing what I went through and throwing out a whole nother piece that was halfway completed. Um, yeah, it was, because I did, I tossed it. I, it was one piece that I'd spent, I had probably spent 40 hours on already. And, and I tossed the whole thing just to get to start over. Interesting. So you actually, did you keep it or did you just throw it out, throw it out? No, I tossed it. No, I tossed yeah. it. And so, like I said, I had, I've never been given the advice that you were given, but maybe that's, you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. So that's, that's something that I can take and, and try to apply it to myself right there. For sure. For sure. And that, that turned out really, really sharp. So I, I, I appreciate you. the story behind it. Um, 
I'm almost one tempted to ask you if you put your own little uh, write-ups on the back of them. Do you ever put yeah. write-ups on the back of them? Uh, I, you know, put a little bit of detail. I, well, I, you know, whatever the title of the card is, uh, uh, the size of the piece, uh, the date completed, uh, that it is a one-of-one one original because I only do each image once. Like I said, I, I did those first three pieces over because I felt like they needed to be reworked. Uh, because of the first three being so important pieces to the hobby, with it, you know, with it being the Wagner, the 52 Tops Mantle, and the 89 Upper Deck Griffey, uh, they needed they needed to have the attention with my skill set, you know, many years in, as opposed to just trying to find my way. And and for every piece after that, I've done them only once, and that's the way I'll continue working from here on out. So nice, yeah, nice. put that on the back as well. Um, so we have a question from the crowd from Ashley Smith. So Tim, what is your favorite piece to create? Uh, I think my favorite. What's up, Ashley? By the way, Ashley's my buddy. Uh, oh. My favorite piece to create has been definitely the um, the umpires piece by the by Rockwell. The game called. Uh, I also love the piece that I made of my son. Uh, I would love to get back to making the pieces that I made for you know, and get back to the piece that I've started of my other kids. And I will get to those. I promise you, if my kids are watching, I'm going to get to them. I promise. But, uh, yeah, I love that piece. And I love uh, that Rockwell piece. That has been um, the most time-consuming one. Um, I finished that one up during, or I started it during Hurricane Florence when uh, we're stuck inside and the family was inland hanging out with the in-laws. And I stayed behind and just, you know, kept kept watch around here in the neighborhood and in, in my house and worked that piece and worked the Kofax piece. But uh, so there's just something about the image and, and all of it. I, you know, give credit to Rockwell just for the image itself. But there's so many little things to it. Like if you look at the scoreboard section of it, yeah, you'll see, you know, 42 playing second base. I didn't add that. Rockwell added that. So it's you know, really? Jackie Robinson playing second base, you know, on the on the scoreboard itself. So there's a lot of little details there, and it's um, I, I just love that. Tim, is that like your largest piece to date? Uh, it's the largest baseball card piece. Um, right. I've, I've I've created a Tiger Woods piece that's a little bit larger out of golf cards, and it's on my side as well. And then some of the other pieces like the guitar pick pieces and the uh, broken records pieces. They're a little bit larger than that. Wow. So what I find interesting about this one, is it says you spent over 300 hours. So if you put it in context in a 40 hour week, right? So right. that just gives you, and since I might have a, a very poor math mind when I'm live, I'll just say that's seven and a half weeks worth of effort that went into that piece just right. so people really right. understand like there's work being done here. And that's, right. uh, that's, that's nice. Right. Yeah, it was. There's a lot. You you pour yourself into something like that. So you know when whenever it it was shipped away, you know it was kind of a sad day, but you know it, it's going to went to a good home. So um, I was proud for that. But it's always a piece that I I think it'll always remain somewhere near the top as my favorite one of my favorite pieces that I've worked so far. Awesome. So there's a couple of comments. I'm just gonna bring up. Sorry, I had a went click happy earlier. Let's go. So hockey guy Chris loves your art. How many pairs of scissors have you worn out, would you guess? Interesting question. <laughs> oh, at least 30, 40. That's uh, not a joke. I mean, and they, oh they break. They break. Once they once wow. they start getting dull, uh, I use – I'm not sure if I even have any around here. 
so I mean, so they look like this, and you can see that they'll start wearing down. And if they don't wear there, once they start getting dull, they'll actually, if I start cutting something that's a little bit thicker like Heritage, they'll snap. The, no uh, kidding. Right, wow. the screw in the middle will snap, and it's time to get a new one, which they're only like probably 8 to 10 bucks a pair. So I get a little bit of life out of them. My uh, I so on the weekend I do a lot of cardboard art with the kids, and the reason I do cardboard art is, well, one it's COVID, and I wasn't going to hardware stores, and there's tons of cardboard from Amazon, right? Like just loads, and I decided like, why do I need art supplies? I have cardboard. So we started making models. Right. I've broken these scissors. They don't even like, you can't even see, but they're not even level. They're like they have <laughs> right. cutting the cardboard. Yeah, and I'm like sitting here going, really. Oh, okay. So I've gone through a few scissors myself cutting corrugated cardboard. You get it um, hung up on a you get it hung up on something just a little bit thicker that that has that doesn't have the uh, the air in the center like cardboard. Like if you you cut something thicker like Heritage, those things will snap if they're dull. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Oh, the, the the other thing I noticed with certain cardboard, if you cut it instead of cutting, it snaps the cardboard in between the blade, <laughs> and then it's stuck. Oh, it's a that's why that's why 89 Donruss and 90 Donruss and 91 Donruss are the best cards to cut because they're so thin. The yeah, spot yeah. is so thin. True, sure. Even even more so than anything else. So even more so than FLIR and more so than tops, obviously, during that time. So Chris has another question, if you don't mind, Tim. Sure. Um, uh, he says, have you noticed a particular brand or era of card you like cutting up for projects? I think you were getting into that. Yeah, yeah. That was it. yeah so definitely. I mean, I love the 87 tops for everything that it gives me. It gives it could I could cut nothing but 87 tops for pretty much any project because I can find exactly what I'm looking for and there's no shortage of that. And as far as my favorite just to cut in general, it would have to be those Donner's cards from um, 87 to 91 just because they're so thin and flimsy and easy on the wrist and the hands and I get a little bit more life out of those scissors. Now, Tim, is there a particular era or brand that has – a multitude of color palettes that you stick to? Uh, I mean, just, I, I guess every bit of it is kind of necessary, I guess you could say. I mean, okay. you know, so I, I, I definitely, you know, the Donruss, if you look at the backs of those from 85, 87, 89, um, the, the yellow to orange gradients of those, and even cards within the same set, the ink was so all over the place that okay. you could hold up a, a stack of 88 Donruss and uh, flip them over and, you know, fan them out and you're going to get 10 to 12 different, you know, shades of blue in there. No kidding. <laughs> right. So that's fun. It's always fun to pick through a 5,000 count box and try to find the specific one that you need out of that. That's it's. I just love, I love the art process because now, because I've gotten into the art, I appreciate it because I'm looking at things a bit differently. And even while you were talking, <laughs> I was actually looking at some of the cards and just noticing like, you know, there's some of the coloration, like you would use, like there's the yellow, there's some blues, there's, there's a lot of like earthen tones. So mm -hmm. that might get uh, easy, but stuff like this is probably fairly complex because it's chromey and you know, it's got like. Right. Yeah. So, and once you cut that and you overlay it, it, it kind of it, it gives it kind of an X-Fractor type look, which is not not necessarily what I'm looking to get unless I, I guess if I was creating an X-Fractor type piece. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, I definitely like trying to stay away from the shiny as much as possible. Well, it's hard because Chrome is Chrome is the hottest thing right now. So you got, there's a lot of Chrome singles out there. Right. I might uh, get barked at a little bit if I get caught cutting Chrome. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, there's a, hey, there's we a don't, lot of we, fans out there that we don't want to be controversial. So we're not being controversial. <laughs> um, I think you answered the question about the hardest piece. Was the umpire the hardest piece? No, starry night, Van Gogh. That one was the most difficult. Uh, okay. Trying to just get some sort of, and there's no way to replicate the brush strokes that, that Van Gogh put into that piece, but um, taking, you know, those old tops cards and the old Donruss and just trying to mimic those little quick, brush jabs you know across and getting them in some sort of flow to give some sort of movement within that piece that was tough and uh, i spent a lot more hours than i anticipated on that one so this is the starry night for those of you who are wondering um on here it's, it's a beautiful piece tim i mean thank you it's uh it's like literally a museum piece which you've created like it's awesome thank you yeah, sorry, I'm getting lost looking at this stuff. I better get back to our live show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where have I lost track here? So let me just go back to see what I was doing here. Um, oh, you did talk about the hardest piece. Um, let's answer a couple of questions. Uh, I knew this was going to come up. Anyways, I'll, I'll uh, stop sharing for a second. So he's going to ask a particular type of glue. So just uh, peep, just uh, for uh, artistic integrity, we're not going to get into that type of question today. Um, but he does use glue. He's mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> um, next one is, uh, this is in reference probably to the Starry Night, to get that painterly look. It's probably what he or she is referring to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it really is. Just to try to mimic, you know, a, a specific style that an artist has done, especially one that's that well known. And, and um, people, you know, his his style is instantly recognizable, even on some of his lesser known pieces. You can look at it and say, you know, that that's a Van Gogh. Um, For sure. So trying to mimic that, it's tough. For sure. For sure. Um I'll do one more question here, and then uh, uh, we have some more questions to get to you. And uh, Tim, you know what's a good sign when you're looking at art and you get distracted and you forget? I, so I'm definitely guilty of that on our live show, but it's okay. I think I'm forgiven. Um, Chris has a question around uh, how thick do your pieces end up being depth-wise? Five to ten layers? Uh, yeah, there's they're very uh, – if you look at them from the side, there's there's definitely some, some depth there. There's definitely a, a little bit of uh, – uh, some overlapping and um, you know I, I try not to go too 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 deep on the cards just because you know I, I don't want to glue on top of cards on top of cards on top of cards and but um, whenever you start getting into the the minute details of the face especially you know whenever you have smaller faces and I'll like go back to either the 86 Fleer Jordan or the 79 OPG Gretzky uh, the faces on those pieces are so small. Like they're small. The faces of those pieces are smaller than an actual card themselves, but they're created from nothing but little slivers of card. So I'm having to put the little eyebrows in the exact shape of the eyebrow and as close to the right color as I can. And I'm, so I'm using an X-Acto knife. So there's a lot of stacking in that regard. So, you know, the faces might be a little bit deeper than some of the other sections, especially something that's where there's a lot more solid color, like the white on the, the ice or the gray on the wall of that particular piece there. I, I noticed you've got the white dot in here. So that's, that's very key. Just so everyone yeah. knows, you've yeah. got the white, dot, white on the arm. <laughs> um, 
But you said you never do a piece more than once, right? Once it's mm -hmm. done, it's done. Right? You never That's go right. back to it. Yeah. Right. Okay. And I, and I do that for, for a couple of reasons. One, it gives the person that's actually, you know, waiting you know, patiently for a piece to get done. Uh, it gives them something, and especially with the money that they're spending on it. It gives them something that's theirs that no one else has um, that I've done. But it also, it's something that I'm spending, you know, 100, 120, 150, 200 hours on. Sure. And yeah. if I'm going to spend that much time looking at one card, I'm done with it. I don't want to look at it again, Not yeah. especially not for that long. Uh, there's so many cards out there that I would love to get to, you know, before I go. So, um, and, and I think I could keep working them and I plan to keep working in, until I can't go anymore in my life. And, and there's still going to be cards out there that I want to get to then. So I really don't want to spend any time going back and revisiting the same card again. So one question, I just, sorry, Kent, just one quick question when I get in before I forget. Is, oh, okay, okay. The uh, so commission versus personal ones that you want to do, how do you decide? Sorry, let me ask this a different way. Do you save certain players for your personal work and then you save certain players for commission? Like, how do you decide that? that no, believe it or not, some of my favorite cards that I want to work are just, it's just a, an aesthetic reason. It's because I like the, the image itself. I think it's beautiful. Um, some of the pieces that I've done that I still own, you know, I, like I love this, the Jordan um, of him, you know, with celebrating with the trophy. Uh, I love uh, the 33 uh, Sport Kings Jim Thorpe. So I created that one just just because um, other pieces like the Rockwell. I just I did just because. Uh, it doesn't mean that I, I like doing those more than commissions because, you know, I do this for a living. So, you know, the commission work is not just, you know, uh, wanted, but is cherished, you know, by me to, to get that to get that opportunity to do that. But um, there are just some even commons that I want to get to and do just because the common itself is so pretty. Uh, the 1956 top set baseball, um, there are some football and Forgive me. There are some older Bowman football sets, I believe, from the early '50s, that are just just beautiful. And uh, one of my favorite cards is from the T206 set. It's Harry, and I don't even know how to pronounce the guy's name. Patty, P-A-T-T-E, -E, but it's a horizontal card, and the background is so colorful. And, and I think it's I think it's great. Uh, eventually, want to get to do something like that, and I eventually will. I plan on it. Awesome. And uh, an extension of that question. Um, so Al, a very good friend of mine from one of our message boards uh, in the hobby. If someone came to you with a player project that you require them to provide an image, or would you look through the player's cards to find the image that quote unquote speaks to you? Uh, no, I, I definitely, you know, I love the back and forth with the client. I love the back and forth and I love, you know, if they have something in mind that they straight up want, that's the image, you know, I'm, I'm definitely willing to listen. I, I'm also, you know, willing to give them my insight on if it's a, uh, the right image for my type of artwork. Uh, if it's a really busy image where there's a lot of fans in the stands, a lot of um, chain link fence in the background, a lot of different things like that, it can get, if, if there's a lot of muddying going on, because I'm using cards that have stats printed on them or, you know, little, little faces, 
uh, it'll muddy up the image. So I'd rather keep it as clear as possible. Um, some some of those pieces, I, I use Don Mattingly all the time as, as an instance. His 84 Donruss card is probably his most popular, wouldn't you agree? I mean, 84 Tops is obviously, yeah. but mm-hmm. 84 Donruss is the one that everyone really, really wanted. It's a portrait. And it takes a lot less time to do that portrait than it does his 87 tops card where he's standing at the plate and there are fans in the background. That 87 tops card would take me four to five times the amount of time to do than his 84 Donruss. So it would cost four to five times as much. And it probably still wouldn't look as good as the 84 Donruss just because it's not a piece that lends itself well for this type of art. So I, I love the back and forth, you know, with, with a with a client and, you know, either coming to a compromise or if it's something that they want done that I can do that I feel like I can you know, make it worth the time and the money that they're spending on it. You know, I'll do it if it's if, if I think that there might be a chance that I let them down on that, I'll pass on it. And mm. pretty much everyone's OK with that. You know, they'd rather know that up front than me get down to the end and it, it not turn out the way, you know, I had envisioned it. Awesome. Uh, so just before, so Kent and I, we share the show duties. I've been a bit of a hog right now, so I'm going to step back a bit and let my partner in crime do some uh, some talking. But it's before I do that, I want to make sure everyone goes to see Tim Carroll's website. So the, U, the URL is at the bottom of the screen. Um, I'm sure Tim would love some inquiries, and I know a lot of you are player collectors. Maybe Chris wants a Marco Sturm piece. That's Hockey Guy 2006. And Al, I'm, I'm sure you want some flamed pieces. But um, you can always reach out to Tim and uh, take it from there. So I want to make sure we really promote Tim's really good work. And I want to be Thank fair you. to him and make sure he gets a chance to, to show that off. So Thank you. Kent, I'm going to stop talking now, buddy. It's all good. It's all good. So, so, Tim, you had mentioned earlier that um, you have used obscure materials. And I'm honored to have a signed print of yours of the Elvis self-portrait that was done mm-hmm. with vinyl LPs. For that particular one, what made you decide to go with uh, Broken Up Records? Uh, well, Elvis was just, I mean, I'm, I was born in Tupelo, which is Elvis's hometown. So, uh, you know, that's what that's what our hometown is known for. It's Elvis's place. And uh, I guess it's just, you know, he was all, when he burst onto the scene in the mid-50s, he was, he was all about breaking records. And so it's kind of, a, just like I said, a literal term. And uh, you know, the records were there. And they were handy. My dad was a collector of various things, and he had a lot of junk um, vinyls. So, I, you know, I just took them and started snapping them and breaking them and seeing what I could do with them and putting the pieces and arranging them and I come out with a with an Elvis to hang on the wall. Uh, my friend, that's another beautiful piece, by the way. Thank that's you. awesome. Um, so you said mentioned earlier that you were formerly a teacher. At what mm-hmm. point did you realize that, you were going to stop teaching and do your artwork full time. Well, my wife and I, we talked about it for, for a while. And, uh, you know, we have, at the time we had three kids in the house. Um, and my daughter has since, you know, she's moved out on her own and she's finishing nursing school now, but, um, we had three kids at home. So leaving a salary was, mm, yeah. was kind of, it's scary, you know, for sure. it's, it's not easy, but, around uh, the summer of 2016 the wait list that i had on the artwork had backed up to over a year i was working at you know my teeth you know was going getting ready to go back into the classroom i was doing all of the summer uh different type of professional developments to get prepared 
And um, I was still spending my weekends working on the artwork. So I wasn't spending, you know, any time with the family at the beach. And, and it was all because I just couldn't. I was trying to get caught up on things. Um, so as July rolled to August, August to September, September to October, um, there were a lot of changes that were going on within my school. And uh, I came back and was talking to my wife that, you know, there was a lot of uh, other things that were uh, being added to me at, at, at the school that was being required of my position, which was you know totally fine. That's, that's what you're, is what's required. So you go, right, right. but what it was going to do was it was going to take even more time away from doing the artwork, which was going to require me to do even more work on the weekends and at nights. So it was going to be even less time with the family. So we talked about it and, it was one of those things. It's like, do, do we give this a shot now? You know, is this is this the right time? You know, this is what we kind of talked about, and um, we prayed about it. We 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 thought about it for a little while, and then um, I, I went in the next. I said, well, I'm gonna go in, and, you know, talk and, to the principal, and I did it, and I walked out and was scared to death, you know, and I was like, what did I just do, you know? Right. And I walked around the corner and was standing at by the front desk and, you know, was going to let the lady at the front desk know, you know, because we had become friends. I was going to let her know she was about ready to retire herself, but I was going to let her know that uh, I was going to, you know, I'd done it and I was going to be leaving in a couple of weeks to do the artwork full time. And uh, I, I was scared to death, but I was like, did I do the right thing? And a lady come around the corner. She's like, are you Mr. Carroll? I said, I am. She said, I, I need to talk to you. I've seen your work online and I need to hire you to do a piece of work for my husband. And I said, okay. And, you know, I, I hear that all the time, but uh, so, you know, you just kind of go with it and see where, where it leads. And she, whenever she asked me, she wanted to get it done right there in the middle of the school. And when I just gave her a quick quote, she said, do I need to write you a check now or do I, you know, how does that work? And I'm, so uh, you you're you're serious you yeah yeah so i was like i i think that was my sign that i've made the right choice and uh, sure. i thought that the wait list was going to get knocked down pretty fast i thought that that one year was going to get knocked down you know really quick because i was used to doing summer you know which is just a couple months and then nights and weekends and now i was going to be doing it full time during the day and mm -hmm. nights if i needed to and some weekend work if i needed to which i have and it's um, it's not slowed down. Uh, the wait list is quite lengthy. It's 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 about three years long right now. So, oh. um, which is, I mean, even working, working, you know, it's it's sure. still lengthy. But um, so I'm very blessed. I'm very fortunate. I uh, don't take it for granted. I, I thought that once the pandemic hit, that it was going to you know slow me down. It was going to everything was going to kind of shut down, mm -hmm. and just like the card market itself, it's not. It's it's actually taking on an even bigger life of its own. Right. Oh, Vincent. Okay. Has says he got a piece coming. Can't wait. Yeah, he does. He has a Brady coming. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um. So, do you miss teaching at all, and have any of your former students approached you? Yeah. No. I. I'm, I miss. I miss the kids. I miss the the. Um, the relationships, you know, with, with the other teachers, you know, I miss just walking next door and talking to different yeah. you know, teachers in the hallway and, and 
And that's fun. Um, you know, I'm still friends with those those people. I mean, Ashley that you was on here earlier, um, you know, he's one of my best friends out here. So I get to see him, you know, at the ball field and, and uh we talk a lot. But uh yeah, I miss I miss the kids. I miss making, you know, having that kind of direct impact in lives. For sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, one of the things that we always teach the kids is to you know, to, to take chances, to uh, take risk, calculated risk. And, uh, you know, sometimes the right answer is not playing it safe when it comes to picking a career choice or, you know, so we can't, we can't really be hypocritical with it. You know, we have to kind of show them that that's, that's, that's the way it works. You really do have to uh, step out on the ledge and jump sometimes and as long as you have a lot of things lined up and and make it work and just you know just work hard afterwards so yeah i do i miss i miss them but at the same time you know i know that this is where where i'm supposed to be i don't think i could have said that any better tim that that's that's a very beautiful way of saying it or putting it um now you've mainly stuck to sports icons which we all know and however, you've like dabbled into like, for example, the Van Gogh's Star Story Night, which is one of my favorites, as well as the Bansky, uh, Banksy Girl with the Balloon, which is another mm-hmm. one of my favorites as well. Now, are, are, are there any plans to to maybe go a little bit outside of that in the future, like do more uh, of those pieces? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm so I'm I'm big on uh, just pop culture in general. You know, that kind of goes oh. back to that Ginner collection that I'm talking about right. with all the celebrities and the, the different types of athletes and, and with the artwork, you know, the musicians and the historical figures and the actual, ma- what I call masterpieces, uh, whether it's Banksy's girl with a balloon or, um, um, Vermeer's girl with a pearl earring. Oh, yeah. Or, right. yeah. So I, I finished that one up at the end of last year. Um, I have, um, uh, I have a lot of intentions to do a lot more of those type of pieces. Some of them are popular. Some of them are not. Again, it just goes back to whatever it is that I like, or maybe even something that, you know, my wife likes and sure. kind of like that Banksy, you know, something that, that she wouldn't mind hanging on the wall. Again, beautiful recreations. Uh, just whether it be a sports figure or, or one of these recreations from ma- uh, past masterpieces, uh, beautiful stuff. Thank you. Um, so I know you've mentioned that uh, in the past that your Norman Rockwell one was uh, tough call was one of your favorites. Is that still today your favorite of all the ones you've done so far? Yeah, probably so. I, I think it is. And you know, I, I've, as far as pieces that that I've done that don't have any kind of sentimental meaning to me. I, I love the piece that I did of my, of my son um, sure. that's hanging on, on the wall in his room. And it's a pretty big piece. It's three feet by three feet. Um, but, um, and I also, there was one that I did. I actually did it in Toronto. Oh, uh, Corporal Cirillo. Um, oh yes. You know, right. After. So I, I did that piece live, you know, at the upper deck booth. Um, that one meant a lot knowing that it actually went, to his family afterwards, right. you know, you know, Upper Deck was able to get in touch with someone that was able to put him in contact. And Wayne Gretzky signed the piece at the Hall of the Hockey Hall of Fame, you know, at an event that we had there on a Saturday night, and uh, he signed the piece, and uh, it went to the family. So that that was a pretty important piece. It, it, that you know, that one's obviously beyond anything that I don't know that that I, I guess. Uh, 
you do whatever you can with it, with your talent to make an impact or to give back or something. And that was, yeah, that was important. So out of all the masterful pieces you've created and the sports icons and who's your favorite sports celebrity to meet in person and, and give us a story or some cool story that, you know, when they actually got to see your artwork. Oh, well, um, so I wasn't with Gretzky when he got to see Mark. He signed two of my pieces at the Hall of Fame that night, and I wasn't with him when he signed them, so I don't know what his reaction was to that. That was pretty pretty cool, meeting Wayne Gretzky at the Hockey Hall of Fame and, and getting a picture made with him you know, at that Upper Deck event you know, with the Stanley Cup uh, at a closed event where you're sitting there having dinner at a table right in front of him, and he's – He's talking, and it was supposed to be kind of a, a, a scripted type question and answer, and he kind of shot that down pretty fast and said, hey, let's just take – they're the ones that are here, and they want to know stuff. Let's just ask them – let them ask the questions. So everyone in the audience got to ask their questions, and he told his stories. That was fun. Um, Shaquille O'Neal at another Upper Deck event um, was – was that that was incredible. I'm – I'm from Mississippi. Shaq is from, uh, he's, uh, he, I'm not sure exactly where he grew up at, but he played uh, basketball at LSU. Yeah, so, uh, yes, down in Baton Rouge. So, uh, when I walked up to, you know, shake, shake his hand and take a picture with him, I looked up at him and I said, Shaq, I'm a huge LSU fan. I guess he could tell by the accent that I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't like everybody else in the room. Uh, he, he looked down and I had, the the name Tim on my you know on my sticker and uh he looked down and he said Tim you from Baton Rouge no Shaq you from somewhere else in Louisiana no Shaq I'm from Mississippi he said <laughs> close enough so the rest <laughs> of the night as he walked past he would call me Mississippi so you know uh, I, I, I joke around Shaq gave me a nickname um that that was that was pretty fun and he he bowled that night with us in Cleveland and um, he would he would throw a gutter ball and scream Kobe, you know, whenever he when he'd do it. So he was he was super fun. He's just like the big kid you see on television. He's that way in person. Um, as far as the artwork goes with a celebrity and them yeah. seeing it, uh, it was really nice hearing that Joe Torre loved the piece mm. of artwork that um, the, his friends at the office of the commissioner of Major League Baseball they had hired uh, hired me to do it, and um, that was. That was such an honor to be able to do that. It was honoring him for his Hall of Fame induction in 2014. And so they gave it to him the week before. And um, he's, you know, he sent word back to me that he loved it and that it was not going to be hanging at those offices. He was taking that and he was taking it back to, to his room at his house. And that's where it was going to hang. Um, I did a piece for the Detroit Tigers Foundation. And um, for the Miguel Cabrera Foundation, also they they work together to to do an event each year, a charity event. And so I did a piece of Miguel Cabrera, and um, the gentleman that set that up uh, was was talking to Miguel about it and asking him would he be willing to sign that piece of artwork if I if I made it and finished it. And and he was showing him my website, and, and Omar Vizquel walked up and said, "What are y'all talking about?" And they showed him the sight of my stuff. And, and I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but Omar is like a Renaissance man. He's a guy that does a little bit of everything. He plays music, he paints, he, he's 
tremendous at baseball and and he um he he said hey i've got you know i've got to have one of those so he he had it set up to have one of himself made um which was pretty you know it's just it's pretty cool to have someone want one of them you know and them being a potential hall of fame shortstop so yeah i'll actually show that one real quick just so everyone sees it. i believe this is the picture you're talking about yeah, that's Miguel signing his piece at the event, and uh, Omar got his a little bit later. That's awesome. That's awesome. I did have a gentleman that had, uh, you know, Bo Jackson's 86 Tops traded piece, and he had it signed at an event. And um, when he stuck it, he said Bo was quickly taking people's items and signing them, and they were just moving along. You know, the line was moving. He really wasn't paying attention to anyone unless they had paid for a photo op or something like that. And he said he put the piece in front of him, and he said Bo kind of slid it back, and, you know, was looking at it from a distance, looking at it up close, distance up close, saw Kirby Puckett's face on it and uh, went into a story started talking about how Kirby had taken him under his wing when he first got into uh, major league baseball. And oh, how nice. he was kind of like a mentor to it. And he said that uh, the, the gentleman that had it done said that you, you could tell it kind of struck a nerve when it was like, that's, that's kind of what art is supposed to do. You know, he's yep. supposed to kind of, you know, bring emotion some kind of way. And for him to take that moment and uh, actually, you know, talk about that, yeah, that, that, that's pretty cool. Awesome. Um, just a quick uh, interlude before we get into the next question. So, Tim, I'm telling you right now, I'm enjoying this conversation a lot because it's it's just an enjoyable conversation. You're a very good person. You're a very spiritual oh, person, I can tell. Um, you're a genuine person. And that's like the type of people we want on our show. And I'm smiling because I'm glad to have gotten to know you. And, and I'm, I, I just think you're an awesome person. And, you know, good things come to those who who are who I believe are fairly spiritual and also good people. So just want to throw you. that out there. Um, here's one uh, that's probably a question you get asked a lot, but I'll ask it anyways. If there's one sports icon who's no longer with us today, and you want to present them with one of your recreations, who would that be and why? Yeah, so I, I've had some time to you know think about that, and and the first the first name that comes to mind is definitely Jackie Robinson. Um, yeah. followed very closely by Roberto Clemente. It was, it was kind of hard picking one over the other, uh, you know, so I guess I got a 1A and a 1B there. Sure. Uh, those, those two guys there for what they stood for and what they did. Um, Jackie, you know, just, just paving the way and, and just, uh, you know, being the, the right guy, um, the guy who stepped up during that time and, and um, took that unwarranted abuse to just kind of, you know, to lead the way for, for other people. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty tough, you know, thinking about, and, and I know you've probably seen the movie 42, like I have, but, yeah. and you know, that's, that's Hollywood's. It, it has to be so much harder in real life. I, I can't even imagine. Um, and with, with Roberto, similar situation, you know, he's, he's not from, uh, wasn't from the United States. And, and so coming, coming to the United States in a time where there was way more racial tension than there, than there is now it it's um, you know, he even, even on his baseball cards, uh, Clemente 
Tops changed his name to Bob in around 1957, and they run it that way as Bob Clemente until 19, uh, I think around 68, or 69, but uh, to try to Americanize his name, and, and he, he didn't care for that. He didn't, he didn't like that, didn't want that, but of course he stayed silent, you know, about it, I guess, or I don't, I'm not, I, I'm assuming he stayed silent because nothing changed. And if, right. if, if he didn't stay silent, it didn't change anyway. Um, but they finally changed it later on in the last couple of years of his sets. Um, but, you know, that's a, that's a gentleman that, that passed away, you know, taking care of other people. Uh, so giving either one of those guys, being able to do something for them, if you could somehow, some way, you know, ch- change the way time works and, and have one of those, one of those guys with us. And I was able to do a piece of artwork and give it to any guy. I, I would have to be one of those two guys. I agree. Jackie is my hero. So out of all my athletes and everyone I admire, Jackie is my hero. He paid the ultimate sacrifice because he lost his son through his devotion to others. So he, he was trying so hard. He lost a relationship with his own son and his son's no longer with him. Well, was no longer with him at the time. Mm-hmm. He's someone I want to, to would have always loved to meet. Same with Roberto Clemente, also an equally hard life. Um, so those guys, um, they paved the way and the way is still being paved today. And it's, absolutely, we just got past black history month. So it's, it's important we bring that up as well. For sure. Um, and I really uh, admire your, your answer to that one. So I'm, Thank you. we're, we're before you ask the last question, can I just ask one question of Tim? You can ask as many questions as you want. I've been talking all day. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, I know you shared in the past like um, stuff that didn't work out. Can you share the story about the uh, the pine tar one? I think oh people- yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, so the George Brett made out of pine tar, and I forgot to mention that one earlier when I was talking about um, other materials that I use. So, you know, George Brett with the pine tar incident in 83, I think the date's around July the 21st or 23rd or something like that of 83. Uh, Brett goes out and he steps to the plate and he hits a home run off of Goose Gossage. And it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a home run that's going to essentially win the game. And he rounds the bases and, and uh, Billy Martin of the Yankees comes out and he, he, he has a look at the bat and points out that the pine tar is too – high up on the bat and that, you know, because of the rules, blah, blah, illegal substance above a certain level, whatever. Um, they called Brett out <laughs> and Brett lost his mind coming out of the dugout. So, you know, that moment in baseball history is just too fun. So I, I wanted to make a picture of George Brett out of Pontar. And so for years I spent trying to figure out how am I going to make this work? Pontar is not going to stay on something that's going to hang on a wall. Um, I looked into, do you freeze it? Do you heat it? Do you, do you put something over it? Do you spray it down? Is there something, some way to keep this together to where it stays like it's supposed to stay and uh, I never could with with the what what I had in mind. I'm sure there's you know ways I could have sectioned it off and turned it into more of a cubist style of artwork with dividers. I, I probably could have done that, but that's not what I was wanting to do. The piece itself was probably one of the quickest pieces I ever made. It was around four to six hours, and I just took pine tar and put it on a canvas and started using my palette knife to move it around. 
and uh, thicker sections were darker. It it looked great. It looked like George Brett. And um, I mean, I talked. I, I actually spent though times talking to what I uh, assumed are scientists online. You know, people that work with different kinds of viscosities, sure. and and they um, weren't able to give me if if they responded to me at all weren't able to to give me a, a direct answer um at least nothing i i could understand i mean some of the some of the emails i got were over my head and and whatever you know and i, I didn't have the courage to go back and and send them a message back. like can you can you break that down for mississippi boy you know <laughs> so uh so i went ahead and i created the piece of artwork and slowly but surely that pine tar just kind of run together and within a couple of weeks it was just a big blob of pine tar and had to toss it so it's the one piece that i've made that truly no longer exists in any form other than the picture i took and probably floating around somewhere online thanks for sharing that story tim that's yeah, absolutely that's an awesome story. And I was just, I just had a thought, which I thought was kind of funny. So if you ever do a card of an art, uh, sorry, an art card of someone who did something illegal, like using a uh, uh, nail filing material to saw down the ball, <laughs> you could do something like that. So, yeah. Um, now, so you're, now you're thinking like me. There you go. There you go. There you go. And then uh, I'll give you, I'll give you more to think about it. Um, we're coming up on the, just over the hour mark. I want to be respectful of your time and everyone else's time. Um, I want to ask you the last question. This is my favorite question of the show and really what the show is all about. And just before I close, for those of you still watching, please feel free to hit the like button and subscribe to us. We're going to be bringing great content in the next little while. And Tim's a great example of the type of people we're going to be bringing on. Um, what inspires you, in Tim? What inspires you to do what you do and be a good person that you are on a daily basis? Oh, mm -hmm. my goodness. Uh, you know, I don't... I'm I, I thank you so much for the compliments about me as a person. That's way more important than anything with the artwork. I've, I've said it before. Someone asked me, you know, at the end of one conversation, how I wanted to be remembered. And my answer had absolutely nothing to do with artwork. Uh, you know, that's, that really is not, that doesn't, I mean, that's, it's kind of who, what I'm known for, but it's, you know, people that know me, that's not, that's not really all I am. That's not just who I am. So, um, you know, that, that's awesome that you guys, you know, thank you for saying all that, but, um, what inspires me? Um, you know, everything in, in life really, uh, it's just, uh, everything leads you to the next thing. Uh, I started out, you know, like I've told you, um, back in college, going to college for that junior college, um, art classes. And I left after one semester and, joined the workforce and I ended up cutting leather for a decade, you know, in a, in a furniture manufacturing plant. So cutting leather and seeing how those leather pieces kind of formed together, uh, you know, it, it kind of shaped my mind that way. And it led me to the next thing, which was, you know, and I see how everything just kind of snowballed and I, I kind of took the time to basically uh, allow myself to, to pay attention to what I had done in the past and, and not just section that off, but allow it to kind of flow into where I am along the way and mold me. So as far as inspiration, it's, it's really, it's everything, it's, you know, everything you, you allow family to um, come into it and you just kind of go with the flow. You don't try to push, you know, anything, you just kind of, kind of take it as it comes. So I don't really know that there's any one thing that inspires me. It's just, I, 
I kind of, you kind of put your next foot forward, you work, you do it. Um, I absolutely love getting up in the morning and, and doing what I do. I, I'm extremely fortunate for that too, because I know that there's so many people out there that are stuck in jobs that they don't like, or even worse, they're, they're having trouble finding work right now. And that's, and that's awful. And I hate that for them, for sure. all of them, the people that are not only looking for work, but I hate it for the people that are stuck in something or feel like they're stuck in something that, that they don't like. Uh, and I hope that everyone one day finds something that they love and are able with this blessing we have is the internet. All it takes is just putting something out there that's yours, that you own something. And when I say you own it, I'm talking about like, it is your, it is, it is you, you know, it's, it's not who you are, but it's something that, that there's something that you've kind of um, made your own, I guess you could say. And um, something that's unique. And if you put that out there, there's other people out there that's bound to like it in a way that you can make a living off of it. So uh, I hope everyone takes that opportunity to try to find what it is that that makes them happy and and go, you know, go with it. Awesome. That's a great answer. Um, I'm just going to and uh, it means a lot that you came on the show and I'm glad to, that you're we, great minds think alike. So I'm glad to hear how you and I, I have a feeling that's a Mississippi way. I, there's some Mississippi way in the way you explain, I'm sure. So absolutely. My home there. Mississippi is always going to be my home. I, I live just outside of Myrtle Beach in a, in a town called Conway, which is very, very similar to home. Uh, it's just a little bit closer to the touristy area. But, um, you know, home is home. And, and I grew up in the, the, the fine people I grew up around. And uh, there's, you know, it, I love my Mississippi home. I love my, my roots there. Um, they, they've definitely played a part in making me who I am. One day when COVID is over and the borders are somewhat normal, I'm going to definitely come visit my family down there. And we should grab a, a pint and, and shoot, the, shoot the iron. Absolutely. Um, uh, so we're coming up on the end of the show. Uh, I want to thank again, Tim, so much for coming. Thank you, Amit. Thank for you, all Tim. Of, for, for all of you, you. Sorry, right. um, for all of you that are watching, please hit the link to look at Tim's website. It's www.timcarrollart.com. Please drop him some more business. He's a good guy, and uh, he can make you some awesome stuff. So, Tim, why don't you hang out in the background, and uh, we'll just end the show. And uh, Kent, do you want to just introduce our guest next week? Uh, so we're going to have next week, um, Susan, uh, who's also known as Suze Yankschick. Yes, she'll be on next week. So look forward to that show. Cheers. So, uh, I'm going to end it off. Uh, thank you very much. And then, uh, hit the end broadcast button now. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you everybody.